Welcome to the uh, Modern Urologist podcast. I'm here today in beautiful, sunny, uh, freezing cold Chicago at the uh, annual LUGPA meeting with Dr. Angelo Bacala. And uh, Dr. Bacala joins us from uh, uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Really want to welcome you and thank you for, for joining us for this. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I want to start out with this. You're a young guy, and I know that because you're a lot younger than I am, and I define mm -hmm. people being young as if they're younger than I am, they're young. And, um, but you run your practice. You are the, the, the managing partner. You are the, the boss of your, of your practice. How did you get to that point, being as young as you are? So um, when I started at Lehigh, I came right out of fellowship, and uh, they were looking for someone to do oncology. And I did my oncology fellowship at the NCI, and they wanted someone to really lead that. Um, my aspirations were always, always in urology, but also in growth, development. Um, that was sort of very um, a, you know, apparent early on in my discussions and when, when I was interviewing and, and what I had brought up. And they were looking for someone to do just that at Lehigh Valley. The hospital was going to be growing. <clears throat> they were going to be consolidating like most places are nowadays. And they knew that there was going to be a lot of growth coming forward. Um, our hospital and our network is actually very forward thinking in the sense that um, they like to have younger people um, I'm 45, but they like to have younger people lead these types of programs because I think they realize, um, you know, there's obviously more longevity because I'll be doing it for a longer period of time, but also, uh, you know, bring new ideas and things like that. I also had an interest in getting my MBA, and so uh, they knew that, and uh, shortly after, I've been doing this now for uh, nine years, almost ten years, um, as division chief, but um, I also got my MBA a few, a couple of years ago, I completed it, and that has helped tremendously as well, and they've been supportive to help me with that, so that we can kind of, you know, move forward with the growth of the division, uh, even other, other hospital initiatives and things like that going forward, so. At what point did you decide that either you needed it or it would be helpful or is this something that the you know the hospital system said to you you know it might be a good idea if you get this this was actually a purely my thing um, and uh, you know I've been a division chief for about um, uh, let's see probably about five years or so and we were doing great things we were moving growing but the business of medicine was becoming very apparent and as medicine was changing, it was clear that uh, we needed to have the financial, financials. And what I had noticed was I'd go and sit in front of the board, sit in front of the directors of the hospital, and ask for different things, right? like we all do. Right? As, as yep. a division, we need certain things, whether it's in the OR, in our offices, whatever it is that we needed. Growth, right? how are we going to make this work? I could talk about the clinical stuff. But you needed to have the business behind it, right? You needed to be able to show that financially this was going to be important and, and make an impact on the hospital, not affect them negatively. And you had to marry those two. And what I found was that there was a lot of angst between the physicians and the leadership that was non-physician-based. You know, fortunately, we have a CEO who is a physician, but a lot of the administrators who make the day-to-day -day decisions and kind of the, your first contact when you go to pre present a plan or something like that, was uh, they were non-physicians. And so they didn't really understand the clinical part. Clearly, they can't go back and get their MD and get the clinical side of things. Mm -hmm. But you know, with minimal commitment, and I did a two-year executive MBA, but with two years, I could get the basics of what I needed to be able to speak in their words so that they understood what I was trying to do and also I could figure out what was important to them. So when I presented a topic or presented something that needed to be done, I could speak their language and, and we could all kind of get along better. And, and that, I think, made huge differences. And um, <clears throat> I think the need for that 
in all medical specialties is just growing dramatically mm -hmm. as, as medicine changes and we have to do certain things. You know, we're being told as physicians to do certain things and be able to cut costs and, and you know, still, still though give the quality that we're expected and that we want to do. And that's hard to do, but there's a way. And so, you know, that's where I thought it became important. Yeah. Now you're you're in a healthcare system, so you you have to, uh, I'll use the term, answer to other people. Yes. You, know, uh, you know, it's a little different to some of these groups that are private mm -hmm. groups that don't have that. Um, what would your advice be to somebody who is leading a group who does not have an MBA, but but they're but they're having to deal with these. Do you think it's the practical experience was, is, is good enough? Or do you think in that setting, you know, having an MBA would just escalate them you know, in that business? And because doctors typically, and you and I both know this, we're crappy businessmen. Yep, or, you know, by definition, if we were a good businessman, we probably would have gone into business. That's right, right. And, uh, but some of us have evolved into that. Well, and you know, that's the thing. They don't teach that type of thing in medical school. Mm -hmm. So certainly you can get on-the-job training, right? And so as I mentioned, for five years I was doing this, and I was doing well. But I think, you know, it's a commitment. Two years of, you know, weekend work. It's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of work to do. Certainly you can get there on your own without getting an MBA, but I think it just sort of jumpstarts you, mm -hmm. you know? Instead of spending 10 or 15 years to learn all the things and trial and error, putting together business reports and, you know, putting together um, business plans for different things that we need to have done and have it shot down and say, well, you know, we really need this. We really, these are the, these are the financials that we need to really know about. Uh, what, you know, how, how are you gonna show your ROI, your return on your investment and what it matters to the hospital? What, the other thing that happens, I think, is that when you get an MBA, the hospital looks at you a little bit differently because then they know you can speak their language, and when you sit there and you can converse with them, yeah. they start to trust you more. And that's, I wouldn't underestimate that, right? You can do it by trial and error and be there for 10, 15 years in that practice, and eventually they start trusting you because they feel like you get it now. Yeah. But that's a long time, yeah, right? I guess what we rely on in, in the private world and when I was in practice is, is your yeah. administrative staff. Yeah. You, know, you know, bring an MBA mm -hmm. in that can, you can do, but then you still can't converse with them because they don't understand you yeah. know, the medicine. It was so funny, you know, sitting there talking to my CFO, and you mentioned something medical, and he looked at you like, okay, yeah, I've been, I'm in urology, but I have absolutely no idea what you're really talking about. So yeah. I can see that to be able to converse on the business side is really important. But on a time commence, you were running a practice. You were seeing your, you know, typical 30 patients a day and then going home and not only having to you know complete your charts, which is the bane of our existence these days, but also studying for your executive MBA. How did you handle that from a lifestyle? Very sleep. And how did that <laughs> how did that fit in with with your rowing and your boating? Yeah. You know, fascination. Yeah, you know, well, I try to still do that type of stuff to stay active and stay healthy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it's important to do when you're kind of you know working off a little sleep, and that that's what it would be. You know, I'd literally I'd come home, have dinner with the kids, you know, put them down, and then it. 10 o'clock at night, start studying. Okay. For at least not put them hours. down like I put my dog down no, when, she was, like when she was <laughs> having, when having heart failure. Okay, I just want to, I want to, I want to clarify no, that I for that the audience. Night, so no. Okay, okay, all right, okay, um, just you scare me there for a second. But um, yeah, you know, by the time they went to bed and I kind of got things settled or whatnot, it was 10 o'clock at night and I started studying and, you know, then I'd do that for two or three hours every night. And it's one of those things you, you need to do it every night. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to pick one night a week to do it. It's a commitment. So you do it every night and then get up at five and, you know, keep going about my day, and get it all started again. So, um, you know, what made it work for me, honestly, was two main things. Number one, I loved what I was learning. Mm -hmm. Like the MBA... Um, 
material, the coursework, was extremely interesting to me. And that, of course, helps, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. The other thing is it was very practical and it was very useful. I was using it day to day. So I would go to school on the weekends, learn about a lot of things, study a lot of things during the week. And, you know, I would literally keep a book on the side about how I could implement some of the things I was learning in my day-to-day practice in the division and how it's in its growth and what are some things you want to think about. Because business principles are universal. Whether you're talking about running a, you know, tire company or you're talking about running a pharmaceutical company or you're talking about running a a hospital division, Mm -hmm. there are basics that are very common and there are strategies that you use that you use across everything, you know, every type of discipline. So um, I try to bring those in and that's what made it fun and interesting and it kind of brought the two things together. I think if I would have gone and got my MBA without the practical experience of being a division chief for five years, Mm -hmm. um, it would have meant less to me. You know, and it wouldn't have been as excited. It would have been just going through the coursework and kind of saying I did it to get it done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the advice, I guess, would be, you know, to the younger guys is don't just go out and get an MBA because you yeah, can. Absolutely. Is you, you got to have some of that experience to see where it's going to be practical, the absolutely. application. Makes okay. it more fun and makes it more useful. Yeah. I want to change gears a little bit. Yeah. Parley Italiano. Same. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Uh, so, or how? Uh, so, yeah, how? So um, uh, I was born here in the U.S. My mother was born in Italy, mm-hmm. um, and my mm-hmm. father was born here. But Where um, in Italy is she from? We're from the Abruzzi area, mm-hmm. so um, just uh, basically pretty much central Italy, across mm-hmm. from Rome, but right on the Adriatic. My mother literally grew up looking at the Adriatic when she woke up How far morning. from Ravenna? Uh, Ravenna, pretty far. So Ravenna's, I think, a little bit further from north. north. But it's yeah. on the Adriatic. It's on the Adriatic, yeah. 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 So... Um, I don't know exactly from Miles' standpoint, but that's more northern Italy. We're kind of central. But um, but a just, I mean, a beautiful town. I've been to it a couple of times. and um, I've actually been there. Have you? I lived there for a year. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Where? In Siena? Where in Siena. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yep. Yeah. We toured through there. It's great. I mean, in the, it was, but growing up, learning Italian, my mother spoke it at home. She speaks English, too, of course, but she spoke that at home. And I learned Italian... Um, you know, through them, um, but they primarily spoke English. Yeah. So my Italian's not perfect. Um, so then I went, and when I went to school, I started to actually take formal Italian lessons yeah. because that was, you know, kind of filled in the, the the background. But a lot of people speak dialects. They do not. They speak regular right. Italian, yep. which was helpful. Which is why we, ch- um, we went to Siena because you learn kind of classic. Classic Italian. You go up or north or south, forget it. In yeah. Sicily, I couldn't There's understand a word. bazillion dialects yeah. down there. So does that come in handy for you with your with your patients in Allentown? Not so much. <laughs> um, there's not that many Italian-speaking folks there, but it is good from a heritage standpoint. Do you, do you find, with, uh, I'm guessing there are some Spanish speakers there. Yeah. And is it confusing to you to try to speak Spanish to them, or do, you, do they understand... You know, because I had the same thing. I, I yeah. you know, trained in, in Spanish, lived in Italy, learned Italian, and now I speak Spitalian. <laughs> and it was it was very difficult for me because I just start throwing words in that weren't yeah. Spanish. But they'd look at me like, wait a minute, that's not Spanish. What are you saying? Yeah. Me? I don't even try no. because I know that I'm going to be messing it up and they're going to be thinking, like, what is this guy talking about? Because clearly it's not Spanish. So, no, if there's a Spanish speaker, I pulled up that iPad and get the interpreter out. <laughs> so that's, that's how I do it. I don't even attempt to. Yeah, good for you. I, I learned some medical Spanish. But, okay, I want to... You know, one last thing I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, you know, we, you and I talked earlier about, you know, setting up protocols yeah. in, your, in your practice. And... You made a really good statement to me about the buy-in and that you get your, your group to really work with them and develop them together. Could yeah. you talk, comment a little bit about it? Because that's the, I feel that's 
the best way and the only way it's going to work. If you yeah. if you shove protocols down people's throats and they're not part of the development, it's very difficult. So, you know, can yeah. you comment on that a little bit? Absolutely. So I think that, you know, the most important thing to get something started, and I guess well, the one question is even going one step back is, why is it necessary, right? Why is it necessary to do protocols and pathways? I think it's necessary because, number one, you don't want to have variation in your practice. And as all of the practices are getting bigger, whether you're hospital-based or a private practice, there's a lot of consolidation going on. Everyone knows it. Um, you're getting more and more folks in your practice running this, right? So there can be a lot of variation. And that's concerning for patient care, right? You want to make sure that you're getting the same product no matter which office of your, of your practice you're going to. So one way to do that is to develop pathways. But again, the problem with that is, as you just mentioned, getting buy-in from everyone to say, yes, this makes sense. So one of the ways that we have done that is um, we develop centers of excellence within our practice. So one of those is oncology, men's health is another, stone disease, endourology, and then female urology and reconstructive urology. So those four centers are sort of set up, and we have leadership within each of those centers. And then the physicians, the physician assistants, the, uh, in fact, the entire office staff is aligned under each of those centers. What that does is it creates a lot of efficiency in the practice, no matter which office that we, our patients go to. Then, after we did that, we developed these pathways. So we took pretty much every disease state and we developed pathways for what we consider to be best practice. And that was really run by the director of that center. Um, you know, when I go to meetings, I typically go, I do go to occasion to the AUA, but I end up going to a lot of the oncology meetings. It's what I do and it's what I know best. I am not up on the latest endourology stuff, not up on the latest female stuff, but I have people in my practice who are. Those are the you know, sectional meetings that they go to. That's the stuff that they read about. And, and so when a new thing comes up, we bring it up as a center, the division, the uh, center director will bring it up, make sure it makes sense financially, makes sense for clinically for our, for our patients as well as it's going to work well with the flow in our office. Right? So we have all these different people who meet at these meetings. Well, the pathway is developed first by having someone who's going to be the primary stakeholder. Right? They have to be knowledgeable in that field. They have to have you know, verified excellence in terms of their clinical judgment in field blank, in this case oncology. And then have read the material and can say and speak well about the science behind whatever it is you're trying to do. Why should we implement a new test? Why should we implement a new biomarker? Um, you know, why should we start doing uh, these types of procedures on these patients versus other types of procedures? You know, um, and which patients should get them? And there has to be thought and logic behind it. Then the next step is to bring everyone together and do a presentation for them. Mm -hmm. Some people just want to hear about, some people in your practice may just want to hear about the clinical side of it. Other people may want to hear about the financial gain. Um, and other people want to just hear, how am I going to be able to do this, even though it makes sense, but not add to my day? Because that's one of the problems with pathways is that people sometimes feel like, if I'm going to alter my practice pattern that I've been doing for 20 years, right. I totally get that. It's going to change my whole life. It's going to change my whole life. And yeah. it's going to you know, drag me down. I still have to see these 30 patients or 40 or wherever many I'm seeing. How am I going to fit this in the day? So, well, doesn't, doesn't that EMR system make that so much more efficient for you? It's supposed to, right? <laughs> it's supposed to. We all know it doesn't. No. It gets so painful. But you know, if used correctly, it can. And that's where when you develop the pathway... You need to make sure that that pathway is um, not only makes sense clinically, you can show the benefits, the clinical benefits, the financial benefits, which oftentimes are, is the case, um, and then find a way to make 
ease of use and make it work into the normal flow of the 15-minute office visit patient, that you're going to be able to do this and make it, and you have to show them that it's going to work that way because this is what your partners are going to want to do. The downstream effect of all of this is you're going to get, you know, you're going to get rid of the heterogeneity in your practice. You're going to get, you know, well, well-defined pathways for patients, no matter what their disease state is. You're going to generate more revenue. Your patients are going to be happier, and you're going to have better outcomes. And uh, you know, pathways are really the way to go. And, and, and you know, things change so much every day in urology. We know that. We go to these meetings. We find out all these new things that people are doing. Do is it really worthwhile? Should we be doing it? Staying up on that is what all of us want to do at heart, but it's difficult to do because there's so many things changing, and, and Pathways is one way to make that work. All right. Well, I have one last question before yeah. I let you escape from me. Um, what do you see in the future is coming that's probably going to be the most important thing? Do you have, I don't know if you've thought about this. I know it's a tough question just to throw at you, but what do you see five years from now? Where are we going? I think the biggest thing, the biggest challenge for any medical professional, and as urologists we can say it's going to be in urology for sure, is the transition to value-based care. Uh, it is just not how we think. It's not how physicians think. We think about fee-for-service. We hear about it all the time, but we are still reimbursed fee-for-service. But it's going to change. We know that. It's coming. And we can stick our head in the sand and say, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and plug along. But this is where something like this is extremely important because pathways get rid of inefficiencies, and they also help with the overall lowering of expense of care, the total cost of care drops, and we actually get more value out of what we're doing. And so this will help set you up for the future. Um, but that's, that is you know, where our thinking is gonna have to go. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, if we treat patients uh, one way, and they're, they're gonna come back because they're gonna have a lot more um, uh, you know, complications, um, there's gonna be readmissions for different things if we catch patients later in their disease state because um, we're not using the appropriate tests or things like this, that's gonna increase their total cost of care for that disease. And we're not going to get reimbursed for that anymore. We're going to get paid one, one fee, and it's going to have to encompass everything for that patient. So it's going to be on us to try to reduce the cost of care, reduce their number of visits, but still keep their outcomes yeah, and the quality, high. Yeah, the quali- quality high. Yeah. So well, that's, that's yeah. going to be the biggest thing, I think, well, our biggest challenge. I mean, you probably learned this in the MBA. You know, value equals quality divided by cost. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's a mathematical equation. And it you is. can either... Inc- Increase your value by decreasing cost mm-hmm. or increasing quality. Yeah. And it's tough to increase the quality. It is. Because if you think you're doing the right thing for the patient, the only way to go is decrease the cost. Yeah, maintain that quality. And I think, you know, as urologists, we do a very good job. Obviously, in the United States, we do a great job of keeping good quality. And so maintaining that and decreasing cost is, is hard. And that's going to be something that we're all going to have to participate in. Yeah, and I think people, the misconception sometimes is, you know, the, the cost, you know, new technologies like you're talking about, adopting these things and new ideas and things that we keep learning and we're seeing at these meetings, doesn't necessarily decrease your value. Right, because sometimes it can lead to increased quality. And exactly, you can right. increase your value. So, yeah. and, um, and long term, may decrease your cost. It may be more upfront right. cost now, but it may be less cost later. Right, and the problem is, that as long as the insurance companies and the people that are that are holding the you know the, the checkbook understand yeah. that they they're not short sighted looking at going the bottom line 
today is what's important right. that they have to look at the you know the the ultimate income and, you know, and that's where I think working in big groups whether it's lung or working with other groups in the hospital based setting you know we have more clout together mm -hmm. and um, you know, I think that that's where we can go to these insurance companies and make sure they understand, listen, you're going to get a better product at the end of the day. We're going to save you money and still keep our, our quality. But it's up to us to go to them. And we can do that as a bigger group. So, well, Yeah, and I agree with you. And I want to thank you for taking your time to, to you. join for this. I Pleasure, think it was always. great talking with you. And uh, I'm sure that we'll interact a lot more in the future. Absolutely. Right, thank you. Take care and enjoy the rest of the meeting. Good talking with you. Thank you. You too.